thank you, Jackie, for for inviting me to come, and thank you for telling me that I'm now on the hottest podcast out there. Um, like I said last time, it's always a real pleasure to come and speak. I have to warn, though, I was given a little bit of short notice, so some of the ideas yeah, of tonight really haven't really digested so much. So I have to be honest with you, I don't really have a structure to what I'm saying tonight. I just compiled a pretty huge source sheet that I have over here, and I'm going to share some ideas that <laughs> I'm going to try as we as we move forward, uh, like maybe create a thread through them, but like not sure if that's going to happen. So just warning you, um, and, and yeah. So thank you for the invitation, thanks for the beautiful setup. And yeah, let's begin. So these partios are extremely interesting. Right, on the one hand, we see that we expend this absurd amount of energy, of effort, of text, describing what could have easily be, been reduced to, I mean, one of the Makos, to the initial encounter between Moshe and Paro. Maybe if you want to say fine, at that point, still the Khartoumim, you know, the little wizard still had something to do with that and they didn't acknowledge it. Fine, you go jump to, to the Kinim where they finally say it's Balokim He. I mean, it's difficult to see exactly what we're doing. What is it that we're doing exactly? We're trying to, God is trying to flex his big muscles. God is trying to show, I mean, his, what he learned at Hogwarts. I mean, what, what's going on? I mean, he could have done that if, if that's the point. He could have done that with the first couple, with pick a couple here, a couple there. Why do we spend so much energy in describing these partials? So what, what's going on? What's the point of all this? And not just that, I mean, the Gemara goes out of its way to say, so on Rosh Hashanah, on Tishrei, they stopped being enslaved. The Avdus that Yisrael was subjected to stops in Tishrei. They wait six months till Nisan and then they leave. What the heck are they doing for six months? They're literally sitting around eating a big bag of sweet and sour popcorn and just watching this whole thing unfold. What the heck is happening? I mean, you have this weird opposite extreme where finally, I mean, the time comes, Makas Bechorus is coming, you know, Makas Bechorus comes, and the Pesach says, And the settling of Bnei Israel, they settled there 430 years, which they didn't, right? Straight up, they clear from everybody accepts that they did not reside in Egypt 430 years, but as soon as he's, as it hit 430, which it didn't because we were in 430, but as soon as it hit 430, on the exact moment, the precise, you know, tick of the, of the clock, it's a night that God had been guarding for. Kodesh Baruch Hu was watching and waiting for this night. And like Rashi says, The moment that clock tuck as it needed to, a Kodesh Baruch Hu didn't delay for a blink of an eye. And you see this incredible rush. I mean, it's this theme 
of all of the Korban Pesach, that you have to eat it. Shoes on, belt on, staff in your hand, ready to go. As soon as we say, everything has to be in a quick haste. Um, and they left Terem Yichmatz, because they didn't have time to set up the provision. This incredible hurry, rush, and for what? I mean, we had six months where we're literally sitting around doing nothing. And you're going to tell me that a Kodesh Baruch Hu didn't delay it like for a blink of an eye. The moment that the time came, they had to leave. Why did the time come six months ago? Right? It, it's, it's a very difficult problem. I mean, it goes around with this whole theme of describing events that seem repetitive, that seem unnecessary, honestly. So... The Maharal has, oh, these are double-sided, nice. So the Maharal has a great read on the Mishnah and Avos, right? So the beginning of the fifth parak of the Mishnah and Avos has all these Asara, all these tens. No Asara Mamoros, Asara Doros, Asara Nisionos, Asara Nisim. And the Maharal gives an insight in his perush on Pirkei Avos, called Derechaim, he gives an insight into the nature of ten. No, his approach on when you see ten, that it's reflective of a type of system that we're talking about. So he says like this, It's coming to tell you that you can partition that which was otherwise whole. You grab something like Avraham, and you say, you want to see all of the formative elements that went into Avraham, well, you can partition those into 10 different pieces. And so, you know, each one has its own specific purpose, his, its own specific delineations, and exactly what each one came to do. And also by the 10 Mamoros of my Sebracious, the ten comes to tell you that look, these systems, the tenth is extraordinary. It's beyond the ordinary. Nivdelet Asher, you know, Bemadurga Eliona Nivdelet, this system Masebrashit is something absolutely extraordinary. Avraham is this figure that is absolutely extraordinary. Ashemore Alzemispar Asara, and this level of being extraordinary is hinted to by 10. So the moral says, you see an extraordinary system, you want to compartmentalize its process of growth, its process of becoming, that's what the 10 come to do. But I think that there's a deeper insight to this Maharal, and that is that the 10th is outside of the cloud. Okay? You see 10 steps. And there's 10 steps that are each one have their own boundaries, their own delineation. One leads to the next, leads to the next. And all of a sudden, you look, you look at the 10th, and this became extraordinary. When did it become extraordinary? In the 10th. And it's a pattern, I think. In every case that I, that I looked into, it's something that we can find. But it's a pattern that we can find. So, for example, let's use these examples in, in, in the Mishan Avros, right? Let's go, let's go back. Asara nisyonos nidnasa Avraham avino lava shalom v'amad bechulam lodiya kama chibado shal Avraham avino lava shalom. Ten nisyonos. And like we say, that Akedas Yitzchak was 
a redefinition of all of the first nine. So that the Gemara says, the Kodesh Baruch Hu says to Avram, please, why do you say na? Why does he say na in the request for, for Akedah Yitzchak? Please. Because if you don't th- do this one, everybody is going to tell you, this Rashi brings down, if you don't do this one, everybody else is going to say, Shalohaya mamashut barishonot. There was no substance in the first ones. The first nine, all that you did, thrown out the garbage. If you don't do this one. The tenth one, for some reason, redefines the first nine. And by the way, the Rabbeinu Bachi says that's why the tenth is also lech lecha. Because it goes back to redefine the initial process. So that if you have the first nine steps of what Avraham took, the first nine misiones, and you don't have the tenth, it's system A. And with a keres yitzchak, it becomes system B. It becomes a totally different thing. The whole thing becomes recategorized. It becomes this totally different kind of thing. And you see this again and again. Every single door is machis baruchu. A little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And all of a sudden, this tenth one ends. We wipe out the whole thing. We can't take it anymore. The tenth one always tilts the scale for some reason. And of course, the next one is Avraham Avinu. Comes Avraham and he redefines the whole set. He takes the whole scar for all of them. Now, the Asar Ma'amoros is actually a much more technical proof, although I think it's actually the best proof of this, but it's a little bit more technical because you require the Gemara because really the Gemara says that there's only nine Ma'amoros. If you count in my separations, there's only nine Ma'amoros. So it's a little bit more technical, so we're going to leave that maybe for after we can discuss it. But I think the deeper idea is one in modern terminology we would call, which is a branch of math called catastrophe theory. And all that means is you have a system, you have a ball that's on a cliff, and you hit it a specific way, just a little bit, just enough that it rolls a bit, a couple of meters, you know, a couple of feet, and you press replay on that hit, and you hit it a couple of feet more. And the same thing, you repeat, you repeat, you repeat, repeat. Every single action that you repeat causes the same impact on that ball. All of a sudden, you do that one more time, and that ball falls off the cliff. One of them, for some reason, disrupts the system. That's the idea in math of systems of catastrophe. Systems of, of catastrophe are that you apply the same change and you see the same result. You apply it again, you see the same result. You apply it again, then you see the same result. All of a sudden, you hit a tipping point and the whole thing disrupts. The same exact change applied again and the whole thing disrupts. Once you hit that tipping point, that point of disruption, that 10, you enter this totally new world. What we have in the Saramakos is exactly that. Makas Bechoros isn't one Maka among all other Makos. Makas Bechoros is the tipping point. It disrupts the whole system. It changes everything totally and completely in an absolutely radical way. So we see... Where is this? Mm.
Oh. Uh, what? Yeah, yeah, number th- yeah, page three. Good point. Page three. And then we say, Kibepam hazos. When Moshe is warning Paro about the last set of Makos, he says, Kibepam hazos, anishulach, es kol magevosai libecha. I'm saying everything. On your heart, uvavadech, uvamecho, bavur, tedaki, en kamuni mechola aretz. Es kol magevosai, Rashi learns. And I don't know if any of you remember, last time I was here, I said that that expression has a special meaning. Shekula keneget kol has a special meaning. And how I explained that last time, I was specifically talking about the context of, I think of Orozara was the specific context. But we also see it by a couple of other mitzvot. Where we say sometimes, Yomar will say, You know, Where do we get that from? Or we say, You know, we say this multiple times by Talmud Torah. We say this in a couple of different times. We explained last time. That my like the way that I was reading that was that in order to compare something, it has to be of the same category. That's a basic principle. If you need, if you want to make a comparison, you have to be within the same category of measurement. Otherwise, you can't compare two things. So people will even say, you know, like as an expression to show how you can't compare something, people will say apples and oranges. But if you're measuring fruits, you can compare apples and oranges. Of course. The question is, what category are you measuring in? If you're measuring apples, then you can't measure oranges in that. But if you're measuring fruits, you can measure apples and oranges. So what I was saying is that the chiddush of saying a statement like that is or or etc. etc. is that it's telling you, it's being mechadish to you, the category that this mitzvah is in. It's not a mitzvah among other mitzvahs. It's a meta mitzvah. <laughs> Hashtag meta. Huh? Because it sets itself outside of the set of individual mitzvos, and it's talking about the set of all mitzvos. So there are certain mitzvos, like Brismila, like Shabbos, like Avodah that redefine your entire set of mitzvos. So the example that we used last time is if you're being motivated by Avodah Zarah, Kofi Torah So halachically, if you're writing a Sefer Torah and you're a min, you have to burn that Sefer Torah. But what do you mean? You're fulfilling the, the, the mitzvah of writing a Sefer Torah? Nope. No, you're not. Because you're being kofar bechol Torah kula. No, I'm not. I'm doing the mitzvah. Nope. You see, because the Vodazar is redefining all of your mitzvahs. So there are certain elements that redefine the whole set. When you have this statement, it's a statement that it puts it in the same category as all of the other ones. It's a statement not of the individual within the system. It's a statement of the system itself. It redefines the nature of the system. So what we're talking about here is exactly that point. It's exactly the point. Redefines all the other makos. Without makos bechoros, we would have had a totally different system. It's a tipping point. It's the thing that brings it b'nei shrot. Mitzrayim, whatever it is we're doing here, to the level that we need to be. Otherwise, it would have been a disaster. It would have ruined the whole thing that we're talking about. Now, we still don't know what any of that is, but we're just setting the frame. So, what was happening 
during this time and what was the transition? Well, I can tell you one point of transition. Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh was when Bnei Israel are told when they're going to, that they're going to leave, when they're going to leave, and exactly the mythos of Mila and Korban Pesach that will allow them to leave. Like the Mechilta says, like Rashi said, like Rashi brings, you know, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted it to be Gol Bnei Israel. He saw that they were naked, bare, lacking mitzvot, and he said, they need a couple of mitzvot, let's throw them Dam Mila and Dam Pesach to have them, you know, Bizochet to a little Samson. And so Rosh Chodesh sets the tone for that. So maybe Rosh Chodesh is the tipping point. Maybe that's when the tipping point happened because after all, we say that they actually did Mila on Rosh Chodesh. Which, by the way, is a clear indication that they weren't mal themselves during Mitzrayim. That the measure says explicitly. They had abandoned Mila. So came Rosh Chodesh, they did Mila again. You might have thought that's the tipping point. Yachol ne Rosh Chodesh. What do you think the Haggadah says when it says Yachol ne Rosh Chodesh? What Yachol ne Rosh Chodesh? You might have thought that the tipping point starts in Rosh Chodesh. Nope. Yachol ne Rosh Chodesh? Nope. Tamun lomar bayom hahov? Nope. Not yet. Nope. The real tipping point happens in Korban Pesach. So Mila is something, it's a transition, but it's not the tipping point. The tipping point is Korban Pesach, and we see that the tipping point is Korban Pesach with Machas Bechoros, which, by the way, come at the same exact time. It's happening simultaneously. That's the tipping point. We know because as soon as it happens, the Kodesh Baruch Hu says that you have to leave absolutely now, right now. You can't delay one second. That's that Kodesh Baruch Hu doesn't wait. That's when the tipping point happens. It's clear. So what's happening in Rosh Chodesh? There's a transition, not the tipping point. So what's happening? Well, it sheds light on what something at least that they were lacking. They were lacking Mila. And the fact of lacking Mila, what does lacking Mila mean? You, lack some for, you have some foreskin still on? That's what it's talking about. Orla. You have Orla, foreskin? Okay, what's the big deal about that? How does that affect you at all? Orla doesn't mean foreskin. Orla doesn't mean foreskin. It's a mystery. Orla means protection, a covering, a barrier, of which foreskin is but one instance of. So, like we say, and by the way, it's always, the Mila is always associated with your ability to connect, to feel, to love, heart. So, we even say, Umaltem es or last levavchem. You know, you'll you'll do mila on the foreskin of your heart. So foreskin is a metaphor. No, foreskin is not a metaphor. Why? Because the Torah doesn't speak in metaphors. How do I know? It's not. That's a misread on orla. Orla means protection, barrier. You had a barrier on your heart. We had to cut that. Umaltem es or last levavchem is you lost your ability to feel, to respond, to be sensitive, to sensitize, to be responsive. The beginning of the transition is Mila. So what was lacking was Mila, at least in some part. What Rosh Chodesh comes to be metakin was that which was missing. So for some reason, Rosh Chodesh all of a sudden triggers something and that says, now you can do Mila. Okay, 
Mila is always, like we're talking about, the moment they come down to Mitzrayim, they stop doing Mila. But we also say that the moment that they come down to Mitzrayim, right, we begin Parshas Vayichi, and then Vayichi has this weird thing where there is no opening in the beginning of the Parsha. There's no Psucha, so it's Satum. So Rashi asks, so, Piece three. So all of a sudden we come down to Mitzrayim, we lose Mila, and we lose our hearts. <clears throat> our hearts close off, our eyes close off. We become desensitized. Mila and Heart are always together. Umaltem es or las So Mila always represents your, because that's your ability to contact and connect outwards. Because that's what Orla is, right? Orla is that which blocks you from the outside. So we even use Orla not just in, in terms of foreskin, not just in terms of that which covers your heart, a barrier that blocks your heart. But even in this week's, in last week's Parsha, in Parsha Shmos, when Moshe says, Ki ani. Oh, What does Arel Sfatayim mean? Does I have a foreskin in my mouth? It's a little weird. Of course, because Orla doesn't mean foreskin. Orla means covering, a blockage. I, I'm just, I have a speech barrier. I can't talk like everybody else. For some reason, for whatever the reason, I can't communicate. I can connect outwards. So, the lack of Mila is always the inability for connection. It's always representative of that. So all of a sudden Rosh Chodesh comes and says, well, now you're ready to begin connecting outwards. Now you're relationship ready. And indeed, Mila becomes the time where it becomes the prep for relationship readiness. And that's, by the way, what the Maharal says, right? So, so look at the fifth page. So his perush on Rashi Gur Arye, he says like this: Dam Pesach v'Dam Mila. Dafka elush nei damim natanakalush brachu ligoles Israel b'hem. Remember two things we're talking about: Mila, which happens on Rosh Chodesh and Korban Pesach, which happens on the fourteenth, and it's eaten all the way through the night. Ki mitchila hayu Israel avadim leparo uvishvil hamila hayu avadim lakalush brachu sheharei mefarshim tam hamila. Anyway, so he comes to address why Mila alone is enough, but the first thing that he says is Mila is an issue of who's doing what they're doing. It's an issue of who. Right? So there's two aspects that Rosh Chodesh comes to address when we get the, 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 the notice of Rosh Chodesh of the two mitzvahs there's two aspects here number one is who's supposed to be doing what we're doing a person who is an Evet HaKadosh Baruch Hu. a person who is an Evet HaKadosh Baruch Hu is symbolized is embodied by Mila Mila is the staple of covenant so it's the frame within which a person is acting and then like he says it's not enough to have the frame you also have to have what you're actually doing. So that's why you, do, you need two things. Mila, which sets up the frame, sets up the person, sets up the, sets up the why. Why are you doing all of this? Who are you to be doing such a thing? And then you need the what. 
what are you actually going to be doing? So again, Mila represents and embodies this need that B'nai Israel had to begin to feel again, to become sensitized again, so that we can look at all of these 12 months and essentially what they are was that B'nai Israel had forgotten their value. They had lost meaning. And that the Ramchal and the Mesil Sashraim expresses very, very clearly that Paro becomes the embodiment of the Yetzir Hara when he basically says that we see in last week's Parsha, they don't have a second to contemplate. They don't have a second to breathe. They don't have a second to live their own lives. And that's the essence of being stuck in a life that is not yours. In a life of Abdus. In a life where you don't own where you're going. Where you have no say over your direction. Where you have no meaning. Nowhere to go. Nowhere to connect to. So Paro, and that was the brilliance of Paro, is that the way to destroy B'nai Israel isn't by killing the woman. It's by killing the men. And more importantly, by killing their philosophies, their meanings, their visions. Paro attacked their visions. Which is why... Paro's immediate reaction to Moshe and Aaron coming at the end of Parsha Shmos and trying their first attempt at freeing B'nai Yisrael, what is his reaction? Work. Up the work. Up the ante. Why would that be the reaction? Because that's obviously his way of suppressing any visions, any great visions of Geulah. Oh, you guys are near Pim Atem, near Pim. You guys have too much time on your hand. You guys are able to philosophize. You guys are able to see all these visions to talk about your great meanings, your, your grand visions of life. You guys have too much time. Get to work. They lost meaning. They lost their, their sense of value, what they were worth. This entire year, which the Mishnah says, this whole process spends a year. This entire year is a Kodesh Baruch Hu teaching B'nai Yisrael their value. And the unbelievable Kiddush of these makos is that, how do you do that? Well, I'll tell you how you don't do that. You cannot tell somebody that they matter. You can't. It doesn't mean anything. Velo shamil Moshe. You're going to speak to them. Velo yishmu elai. They're not going to listen to me, says Moshe. They can't listen. Do you understand? There's certain things that you can, a person can only receive if they're capable of receiving. If you're in a place, if you're, if you're totally unaware, totally lacking any connection to your own sense of value, to your own sense of identity, how the heck are you going to interpret the fact that you mean so much, right? Let me get back to work. Right? What, what is that supposed to mean? So the unbelievable chiddish of all of these makos is Akkadosh Baruch has to show B'nai Israel their value. And he literally does like you would a little kid. He has to stretch out his arm penetrate their barriers, penetrate their orla, and say, you matter. He has to get in there, stretch out of his end, disrupt your local environment, disrupt all of the things that you see as normal, all of the laws of physics, all everything that you know, and shake you. Do you understand that I'm here? Do you understand that every last maka that was for the Mitzrim, like the Ramam explains in his parish Mishnayos, Every last Makkah that was to the midstream was a nace to B'nai Israel, Because every Makkah that, uh, that afflicted the midstream was a Makkah that didn't afflict B'nai Israel. So inherent in the fact that I'm going to obliterate Mitzrayim is this unbelievable other side of the coin, which is every time that that happens, 
But Yisrael begins to learn that they matter. And that's what HaKadosh Baruch is trying to teach. You matter. And this is real. And everything that you do matters. And I'm trying to show it to you. And I have no other way of showing it to you. But literally penetrating your walls. Shaking you until you, you can finally listen to what I'm saying. On Rosh Chodesh, they learn to listen. Not only do they learn to listen. They listen so well that Rashi says, alav ke'ilu asaum. They hear the, the tzivoy of the Kodesh Baruch Hu, of Korban Pesach, and the, and the Pasuk says that they do it. They hear and they do it. And Rashi says, obviously they can't have done it. They couldn't have done it because the whole tzivoy was for what begins on the 14th, right? So Rashi says, ke'ilu. They did it. They be, they're able to hear now because they, they learn their own value. The unbelievable chiddish of them sitting around for six months is because there's no way to rush that. You can't force that. You can't tell somebody, but don't you understand that you matter? Don't you see how I see you? Nope, I don't see it. You have to show them repeatedly, consistently. And that's what the makos are, showing that they matter. Okay, comes Rosh Chodesh and they do Mila. And Mila as the direct tikkun of their lack of meaning, their lack of vision, their lack of ability to matter. But like the Maharal says, it's not enough. Because all Mila does is switch you to a state where you become relationship ready. Now you're ready to do the act that you need to do. Which is why he explains you need both. You need Mila and you need the Korban Pesach. Mila is now you're in the right frame to do the next step. Now you're actually properly ready to love. Now you're able to feel, ready to relate, ready to share a vision with the Kodesh Baruch Hu, ready to share a world, but you still haven't done anything. But now at least you, have, you share the possibility of doing something. So that's the frame. Mila builds the frame. And then we need Korban Pesach. But Mila builds a frame. So... What's the whole thing of the Korban Pesach? What is it that shifts in the Korban Pesach with this one weird Maise that ends up being the tipping point for everything that we see? So I think that before we address that, it's important to see Ben Yisrael for the first time in Parsha Shmos, for the first time by Mitzrayim, they're called an Am. And it's an interesting shift that you can look at B'nai Israel as a collection of people or you can look at B'nai Israel as sort of this super organism this whole this unified whole and in the super organism this big unified system you can see transitions that happen that very much replicate our own transitions so we speak of the time of Mitzrayim of B'nai Israel as a time of childhood a time of Yaldut and if you pay attention in the Haggadah of Pesach, all that it's talking about is how HaKadosh Baruch Hu saw you laying in your own filth, literally laying in your own blood, that you, were, that, you were, that, that you were born and nobody fed you, nobody took care of you, nobody catered to you, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu saw you in your filth and, and took you out and waited for you to mature. And that's exactly actually what happens in Pesach, in Rosh Chodesh. You see, Rosh Chodesh of Nisan is Chodesh Aviv, spring. And what's the idea of spring? Spring is even halachically the time of fertility, the time where everything blossoms. 
So we have all of the halachos of Yashan and Chadash and the Korban Omer and, and, and the Bikurim and Shavuos and all of those things which relate to the agricultural cycles, which relate to a new turn of life, which relates to the, that everything explodes in blossoming, in reproduction, in fertility. This is the point where Bnei Israel goes from being Yaldut to Na'arut. It goes from children to adolescence. All the time of Mitzrayim, it's a time of childhood. It's time of Yaldut. And they become Na'ar. The time of transition of Na'arut is here. And what happens at this time? I mean, this is literally the transition into adolescence. They become adolescents. And what's the hallmark of adolescence? Puberty. It's a weird thing. You ever wonder why exactly we have to wait for puberty of all things for somebody to be considered a bardas? You ever wonder that? I'll tell you what bardas doesn't mean. Bardas doesn't mean a really smart dude. How do, you, how do, you, how do I know that it doesn't mean that? How do you test for bardas? That's a weird thing to test if you're trying to test intelligence. Why don't you give them an IQ test? Why don't you have them take an SAT? Uh, you're gonna t- that's a weird way to test. Oh, are you smart? Pull down your pants. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's a weird thing to test. Obviously, you're testing puberty. Why the heck would you test that? Because das doesn't mean chokhmah. Chokhmah means chokhmah. Das means das. What does das mean? I'll tell you what das means. Das means connection. Your ability to connect. A child cannot seriously connect to an other. Not just physically, of course, and this also happens physically. Their, their bodies are literally not mature enough to have a, a mature level of connection, of physical relationship, but also psychologically. I mean, the difference between a child and a teenager is literally the capacity to identify otherness. So you ever see how like a little eight-year-old can go up to a super fat woman and say, Mom, why is she so fat? She's so fat. Look at her. Oh my gosh. You ever see somebody like so fat? And I was like, shh. You know, how, how, how could that happen? A teenager, I mean, unless he's autistic or has some serious problems, like he's not going to say that, right? Why not? Because there's an awareness of otherness and there's an awareness of, oh, wait, wait, wait. It's not just the way things are. It's not just that everything is included in my world. It's that there's a separation of boundaries. I'm me and I end here and then the other person begins and I have to be really cautious because just like I have feelings, they have feelings and a child learns that and learns literally the beginnings of what it means to connect to otherness. That happens at adolescence. That's Na'arut. Ben Israel reaches Na'arut. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is waiting for Na'arut, is waiting for Ben Israel to become relationship ready. The first step to that is teaching them their value. You learn your value, you understand what you mean. Okay, now you're ready. Okay, do Mila. Okay, now we have to do Korban Pesach. Now, Korban Pesach is the first act of relationship that, that Bnei Israel does. And that sets the tipping point because up until this point, it's just a big concept. Now we need the proof of concept. Now we need the thing that switches Mikoach Elapuel from potential to actuality. Now we need to see the real deal. Put skin in the game, put your money where your mouth is. Let's see what you got. Now, why was Korban Pesach that? The amazing thing was that Korban Pesach 
came to be metakin something that we don't really sometimes we gloss over, right? <coughs> so the Michilta here, it's a really long Michilta, page five through six, and it's talking about how I saw that now you had blossomed. Like we said before, Okay, and now look at the question of Rabbi Lazar Hakfar. So you're telling me that Ben Yisrael had no mitzvos for them to be zoche a geula. Okay, and so he asks, "Vichilohaya biyadam shel Yisrael arba mitzvos she'en kol alom kedai b'hem." The four mitzvos that everybody quotes, the famous medrash, which isn't three, by the way, it's four, and which, by the way, doesn't speak of clothing at all. I couldn't find. I actually, did a whole massive safari search, and I can't find any source. That speaks of Levushim as one of the three, right? That's one of the big three that they never change the Levushim, which is clearly not the case because... Anyway, very many proofs that it's not the case. But, so he says, you know, the four great things that we always say by, by Bnei Shal, that they didn't change in Mitzrayim. Shalunechtu ala rayos, velo ala shonhara, dasun and avirom. Is that the whole thing? Okay, let's put that on the side. Velo shonu es shemam, velo shonu es leshonam. So we had these four great things that we always say that accompanied us. So why, why didn't they have anything? Why was that worth nothing? Like we said, doesn't matter what they have. Avodazara is there. It redefines the whole set. Shekula keneged kol hamitzvos. Like we always say, redefines the set. Doesn't matter. How is this a proof to that? Shekula keneged kol hamitzvos. It redefines the set of mitzvos that you're doing. So Korban Pesach was being attacking the issue of Vodazar. Why? Well, we know why, right? Because, I mean, we think of it as a, as a weird thing. I mean, come on, did the Egyptians actually worship like, what, like sheep? They worship like these weird lamb stuff? Like, is that true? Actually, it's very much true. And you look at their great God, especially during this period of time, which was the new Egyptian kingdom, and it was their main god, the god of gods, is Amun. Amun. And you can see pictures of this thing. And it's embodied in different ways. But during this time, it's embodied like exclusively by rams. Like literally. So sometimes like, like it's like a human with like, with like these ram kind of horns. Or sometimes it's just the ram. And it's, the, it's, it's a figure of fertility and, and, of, and of wealth. And of youth and all of these things. I mean, and it's and it's so much so. And you can read like all of these historical accounts about all that they did to stay straight from ever like actually like sacrificing sheep and lamb and whatever. Okay, that that's a weird thing. So we grab the very thing that Mitzrayim cannot stand, and the Kodesh Baruch Hu tells them, grab it in front of everybody. You know, be pursuing Isa. <laughs> you grab it, you drag it in, and hold it for four days. But why? We're not going to use it for four days. Yeah, just hold it. Just watch. Make sure everybody knows and everybody comes and asks you. Everybody comes and asks you. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. What do we call it? Shabbos Agadol. You ever wonder why we have Shabbos Agadol? Why do we call Shabbos Pesach, the Shabbos before Pesach, Shabbos Agadol? Why, why, why that one? 
Why not Shavuos? Why not Sukkot? Why not Rosh Hashanah? Yom Kippur? Why don't we call those Shabbos Hagadol? Shabbos Hagadol is just a random thing. Oh, it's the Shabbos before Pesach. There's something that happened during that time. Lehalacha. So we bring it down. So the tour on sixth page says Shabbos Lifnish Shalifnish Hapesach Karino the Shabbat Hagadol VeHataam Lefi Shenase Bonis Gadol. Shepesach mitzrayim makho be'asor kidichtiv da'asor la'chodesh hazeh v'yikhu lahem sela ve'savo sela ba'is u'pesach she'atru Yisrael mitzrayim haya bayom haya bayom Hashem be'yom hey it was on the Thursday k'de'isa b'sidor elam we know that Pesach itself on the first Pesach the first Yitzhak mitzrayim fell on a Thursday v'nimsash yud b'chodesh so the tenth then haya Shabbat was Shabbat so that first tenth when they have to grab the Pesach, the Seh that they're going to keep for four days, was actually on Shabbos. So everybody saw them going out on Shabbos. And you know, some of the point out that it's explicitly Shabbos because everybody knew, the Mitzrayim knew at this point, six months being keeping Shabbos perfectly, not doing anything. They know they don't go out and they come, they're breaking Shabbos, they're grabbing a, 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 an animal, you know, bringing it forth and tying it down, you know, all these weird things. So, and it was a huge, huge, hugely publicized thing. So everybody was asking, Lama Zalachem, Pesach. And these guys, they see what chutzpah, these ridiculous B'nai Israel, what chutzpah that they have to say that to us. That's unbelievable. And so they would grind their teeth from the fact that they're destroying their gods. It's it's absolute like defilement. They couldn't say to them anything. And that's Shabbat HaGadol. The fact there was a huge pursuit in Nisa that these guys were literally grabbing their gods and tying them to, next to their bed because they were soon to be dinner. I mean, that's a crazy, crazy vision, right? And if you look at the Psukim, right, because we've said so far that Korban Pesach and Makas Bechoros happen at the same time, right? And the obvious question is what does one have to do with the other? And look at how the Psukim describes. What does destroying the Bechor have to do with Can you tell me that? What does killing Bechoros have to do with killing gods? So also maybe gods were included. Smakas bechoros, right? The Iker thing, the main thing, was beni bechor Yisrael, as we said at the beginning. Vani horeget et bechorecha, like Moshe says to Paro at the beginning, at the very beginning, it starts the whole thing. It's about bechoros. Where does this God thing come in here? And of course, that question is directly to how korban pesach fits, because we just said korban pesach has to do with killing their gods. Right, and the amazing thing is, bechor doesn't mean firstborn, and I know it doesn't mean firstborn because we have things like transferring the bechora, which I mean, if you're actually talking about chronological time of when you were born, that's literally ridiculous, right? You don't transfer that, you can't sell that, you can't buy that. There's nothing that you can do. I mean, the two straight examples of both Yaakov. 
and then later Reuven losing his Bechora? How could you lose your Bechora? And then Yosef getting two because he's Bechor Shoro, that little the apostle calls him the Bechor? How could you call Yosef the Bechor? How could you call Yaakov the Bechor? How could you call Israel the Bechor? There have been many nations before them. They're not children of God. Of course they're children of God. Until B'nai Israel comes, of course they're children of God. So what could you say about that? Bechor doesn't mean firstborn. Bechor, I think, what we could say it means the embodiment, he who embodies your vision. So the amazing thing is that we have at the end of this week's Parsha, you know, the first of your flock, you have to dedicate to Kodesh Baruch Hu. Your firstborn, you have to dedicate to Kodesh Baruch Hu. You're at the first of your field, you have to, and then we have Bikurim, and all these things, the first, the first, the first, the first. What's the first? You ever see those weird things in certain shows and movies? That like when somebody starts a business, they grab the first dollar and then and they frame it? What's that supposed to be? The first dollar, what's the first dollar? It's different than the rest? Yeah, it is. The first dollar embodies the vision of your business. That's it. That's the proof of concept of what we're talking about. It's, it's the legacy made real. Okay? When Yaakov gives over the Bechorah to Yosef is because Kiven Zekunim Hu Lo. Yosef embodies Yaakov's vision. Yaakov embodies Yitzchak's vision. Ben Israel embodies HaKadosh Baruch Hu's vision. And what has to happen at, at this point, right? The absolute unbelievable kanos of what Makas Bechorus is, is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is doing for Bnei Yisrael. Bnei Yisrael is doing for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's an unbelievable mutuality, <coughs> right? I mean, if you want to see like the, the potency of kanos of what's happening, of fighting for what's real, of fighting for something that, that, that's worth something, of having real skin in the game, that's literally what's happening here. So you have like all of Mitzrayim in absolute chaos. You have everybody ready to kill you because of like everything that's been going on up until this point. And you're going out and publicizing the fact that you're taking their gods and you're bringing it, and you're bringing it with you. Like the Rabbeinu Bachya says, I mean, he goes through all these things, right? I'm on 7th on page. <laughs> but Israel right now are embodying the Pirsum of, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in Mitzrayim. So because of that, they have to be uh, commanded for you want to know why you have to do it roasted? So that if any Mitzri passes by your house, they can actually see that you're roasting their God. You want to know why you have to put it on your post so that everybody's going to know this son of a is killing our gods. I mean, the absolute unbelievable imagery of having all of Bechorim of Mitzrayim dropping dead next to you and you're literally in your house eating dinner. The tzivoy is you have to stay in your house while there's this massive holocaust happening outside of your doors and there's this, I mean, unbelievable tragedy, chaos going all around and you're literally commanded to stay in your house and eat your dinner and what's your dinner? They're gone. Eat their God for dinner. It's just an unbelievable imagery. That's insane. You want to hear the 
total disruption, the total, total collapse of the vision of Mitzrayim, of the Bechorah of Mitzrayim, the total ruins of any vision that Mitzrayim could have possibly said, oh, we can live without a Kodesh Baruch Hu. We can have our own alternate visions that can work equally well. You want to see that? You want to see the absolute chaos that you end up in? You want to see all of Bnei Israel literally just watching you from the inside out with the blood of your God on their doorposts? That's ridiculous. That's just an unbelievable imagery. Isn't that insane? Like you're literally commanded to eat their God. That is nuts. Wow. So you guys are literally fighting the exact same thing. The destruction of the Bechorah is the destruction of any alternate vision but B'nai Yisrael. And B'nai Yisrael's Korban Pesach is the destruction of any alternate God but a Kodesh Baruch Hu. It's the exact same thing. So a Kodesh Baruch Hu is B'nai Bechori Yisrael. They're the true Bechorah. And so a Kodesh Baruch Hu, through that, through the Korban Pesach, his presence lays abundant in Mitzrayim. And it's only through that you, that you can be Zoha to leave with a Kodesh Baruch. And that's why Makus Bechorus is the tipping point. You don't have this one. All the other Makus meant something else. Why do I care about you, Bnei Israel, exactly? Why do I care about you guys? Oh, I know why I care about you guys. Oh, because of, of the other guy. My, my lover. What do I call him? Ohavi? Avraham Ohavi. Mm. What are the two things? That Avraham Mohavi did. Kofir Bavodazara and Mila. The two exact things. Korban Pesach and Mila. Unbelievable. You want to see the thing that will actualize your leaving Mitzrayim? Okay, what's the whole reason we're doing all these makos? What's the whole reason I'm showing all of your care? What's the reason you merit my care? What's the reason we're in this together? Are we in this together? Makos Bechoros is Keneged Kol HaMakos. It redefines the whole thing. You don't do Makos Bechoros. You were not included in those makos. They weren't for you. They were for Abraham and the real descendants of Abraham. They weren't for you. That's what Abraham did. You want to speak about skin in the game? That is the ultimate skin in the game. You want to know what, what we call through all of the makos Ben Israel? We don't call them Ben Israel. Elokei Ha'ivrim. Ivri. There's only two times we use Ivri. We use Ivri multiple times. But I'm saying the first time that we use Ivri is Abraham Ha'ivri. The second time we use Ivri is only in Mitzrayim. Multiple times, but only in Mitzrayim. In Mitzrayim, we have to be Ivrim. We have to be Avraham. Because that's what, that's what the Medrash says. Kol haolam echad, the Avraham echad. That's exactly what you have to disrupt everybody else's visions of what they think can work. Because it can't work. Anything that's not tethered to HaKadosh Baruch Hu's world can't work. It just can't. And so you're being kofir a bit of Zara is being moted b'chol Torah because it's exactly the same thing. You want to speak about why in the Galatia Pesach we have to speak about b'chol dor vador Why would you have to say that? Because it's exactly the same thing. The moment that you identify as Ivrim, everybody wants to kill you. Because what you're saying is your visions can't stand in the face of reality. That's what you're saying. It's absolute skin in the game. I mean, Abraham literally becomes the one that everybody wants to kill. His entire vision starts through Nimrod. His, his, his derech starts through Nimrod. He defines himself as the other, the ultimate other, the one that won't compromise on anything for that. And that has to be the tone of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. And it's a brutal process. I mean, it's absolute skin in the game. And so that's why we say that during the time of Choshech, 
I mean, whether the whether forty nine fiftieths of the people or four fifths, everybody drops dead during that time, because anybody that wasn't absolutely committed, totally and completely invested with complete skin in the game couldn't make it out. So, like we had said last last time that I was here, it's a selection process. It's a filter. You make it through Mitzrayim, you make it out, now you're ready to be Mikabal the Torah. Because you've gone from being a Nar, you've learned your value, you transitioned, transitioned into adolescence, and you did the most unbelievable act of love that started this whole process. Elokei Ha'ivrim. Avraham Ha'ivri. It started the whole process. And it's the only thing that could continue. So the unbelievable thing is, we transition from Beni Bechori, we transition from being Bechor, from being from a father-son relationship into what ends up being Shavuos, which is spousal. And how does that happen? It happens only here. Pesach is a time that we respond. It's the first time that we actually responded. This made it all real. Without this, none of this could have happened. That's why it's like the first night. And that's why, that's why Pesach on the national level is what springs up this whole thing. You don't have Pesach, you don't have everything, anything. That's why everything is Zecher Itzias Mitzrayim. That's why I mean, all of them, before you ask that question, why wouldn't you say, I, I created the world? It's peanuts. What do we care about that? Are we in this or are we not in this? Everybody else around was also created by you. No skin in the game. There has to be skin in the game on both parts. And that's the only way that this could move forward. So the unbelievable transition that we're talking about is a transition that you see from the beginning of Nistatemu and Nihem Libam Shulisrol, that they couldn't have Mila. They were still fit in Avodah And you come out and you see these people that literally become totally transformed, like the transition from a little toddler to like this unbelievable, mature human ready to relate back, doing this unbelievable act of kanos and fighting for the thing that they love. And that's exactly how... We speak up at this whole time, right? So with the Pasuk, and with this we'll, we'll end, but with the Pasuk says, when they actually leave, it says, They didn't bring any provisions, any of their bare necessities. They didn't like stock up. They brought no securities. How are we possibly going to make it through without anything with us? They had absolute trust and they went. Na'ar. Na'arut. We became Na'ar here. I remember the love of not your childhood, the love of your adolescence. I mean, Na'ar even halachically has the status of adolescence, of pubescent, right? Ahavas kelulosayich. And that Ahava is now spousal love. So that sets the tone from toddlers that literally didn't know their value literally didn't have a vision of their own to this, these unbelievably fortified, I mean, robust people that are willing to put everything on the line for the sake of fighting for the ultimate vision of a world with the Kaddish Baruch of a world that ultimately ends up making them Zohar, not just to the local Geula of the moment, but Kodesh Israel Lashem. And they become the ultimate Bechor of Israel, of, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, for which the entire world is created. Bishvil Yisrael, Shinikra Rashis, and it really becomes Leil Shimurim, who God, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, was waiting for this moment. It's the first time, in the same way, what Avraham was on the individual level, Mitzrayim, Korban Pesach, becomes on the national level. You have a group of people that now, so to speak, became Avraham.